to continue with the Hebrew scripture. See that the king says, I myself will give them. But the king had pity on Meribaal, who was the son of Jonathan, whom David loved. The king took the two sons of Rizpah, daughter of Ai, who was a lesser wife of Saul, and five sons of Merab, daughter of Saul, David gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hung them on the mountain before the Creator of all. They were put to death at the first days of harvest, at the beginning of barley harvest. And then note what Rizpah does. She takes sackcloth and spreads it on the rock for herself from the beginning of the harvest until the rain falls, which was an entire season, she did not allow the birds of the, of the air to come on the bodies by day or the beasts of the fields by night. And finally, someone goes to tell King David what is going on out there in the field And what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the low-status wife of Saul, did, she was a concubine. Then David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, who'd never seen a proper burial, and these seven men gathered up their bones and they buried them all with a proper burial. Then it rained. Love that sees, love that grieves, love that protects, love that heals. If you have never waded through the text from the second book of Samuel, you may be forgiven for shaking your head this morning, for wondering who is whom, and who did what to whom, and how do you pronounce all these archaic words anyway? More to the point, why bother at all? What does this passage have to do with me today? Let's back up a little. See if we can get a better sense of this troublesome text and what it might mean for us. First of all, Rizpah is one of the most tragic figures in the Hebrew Scriptures. She is defined by power not her own, at least not in the first sense. King Saul takes her as a concubine, and she gives Saul two sons. Then Saul is killed. Saul's commander-in-chief, Abner, wants to marry her. Of course, if he were to do this, he would become the official guardian of King Saul and Rizpah's sons, which would, in turn, give him substantial amount of power. This does not work well for the others who want power. And before too long, Joab, David's nephew and commander of his army, decides that Abner is a spy. So he stabs him to death. 
Makes you think of Game of Thrones, doesn't it? In the meantime, David has become king of Israel, and a famine has taken over the land. Now, when the blame game kicks in, as it will, things go from bad to worse. It is said that Saul has murdered some Gibeonites, whoever they are, and this is why the famine has come to Israel. It's Saul's fault. No one knows the real truth. King Saul is long dead, and too often the winners, or at least the survivors in power, write the history books. Now, several generations later, mass violence, love of power and retribution demand blood for blood, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That must be why we're having a famine, right? Oh, and while we're at it, let's absolve our own responsibility by saying, God told me to do this. Of course, the people claiming all this really have a human stake in this biblical game of thrones. What we know is no rain is falling on the crops. Foreigners are involved in the history of this story. No one in power trusts anyone else in power. As King Henry IV says in Shakespeare's play of that name, uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. Indeed. Because Saul is no longer around, King David meets with the heirs of those ill-fated Gibeonites and asks them what to do. This, of course, is a political move. We might imagine these Gibeonites looking around at each other, shrugging their shoulders and thinking, oh, no. Then they remember that Saul has a couple of sons left who could still be a threat to King David's throne. Note, they disregard Meribaal, who's crippled, thus no threat to the throne. He's Jonathan's son. The two sons of Saul are Rizpah's sons, and five of Saul's grandsons from other women. David himself orders the deaths of these men, all seven of them. Saul's remaining line of potential heirs. And the surviving Gibeonites hang Ritzpah's sons and the five grandsons on top of a nearby mountain. They basically lynch these innocent men. In fact, scholars believe there is something like a crucifixion done here, and men are left hanging on the very instruments of their deaths. An impoverished woman with no status and no power named Ritzpah now takes her stage in this tragedy. Ritzpah has lost everything she had. She has lost her status as a wife. She has no one to take care of her. And now even her sons have been taken from her. In an act of cruelty, the king has killed them all in what can only be called an atonement ritual. There's nothing she could do to prevent their deaths, nothing she could say to King David in the aftermath. Her sons lynched, she is not even allowed to bury her dead in dignity. 
hung high on crosses, her beloved sons, are witness to the world that some people matter a whole lot more than other people. Mothers may cry out for justice, but too often those in power stride away trying to wipe clean their blood-stained souls, if not their hands. There is only one thing Rizpa can do. She can stand vigil over the decaying bodies of her children. She can stand as fierce, silent witness of injustice and unnecessary violence by someone in power. So she does. In a concrete symbol of defiance of not allowing her people or her king to ignore this evidence of violence, Rizpa takes sackcloth, a visible sign of grief, and spreads it on the mountain for an entire season, for months. Beginning with the start of harvest, she stands guard over the decaying bodies of the two sons to whom she gave birth. The two sons she watched be murdered in cold blood. Rizpah's vigil also sends a clear message that the ones in power have defied God's laws, specifically those set out in the book of Deuteronomy a very long time ago, which says that you may not leave them outside hanging until after sundown, you must take them down. And so they have defied that particular law. Deuteronomy says, you must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. God's law supersedes the human heart's capacity for evil, violence, and self-serving power grabs. You might blame God. You might say you prayed and God told you to do this. You might say God's Word said this was okay in a special set of circumstances, but in the end you won't win. You will not win because God's way is larger than our way, and God will win. So you may ask, what's the good news? The good news is that God loves us despite our worst selves. God never gives up on us, broken people that we are. God calls us to be witnesses to God's truth. In, on this day in 2023, the arc of justice continues. It may take a long time, that's true. You could ask Medgar Evers' widow and three children, you could ask Emmett Till's mother or Matthew Shepard's mother. You could ask Ukrainian mothers and wives who may never know where their dead lie even today. And so sometimes 
we Christians would just do well to pay attention to the words we profess in our baptismal covenant. Knowing that we are broken and human and probably won't live them out, but God calls us to be witnesses to God's truth, even if we do that in silent defiance, as Rizpah did all those centuries ago. This wife could not save the life of her ill-fated husband, Saul. This mother had no power to save the lives of her two beloved sons. Yet in her acts of vigilance and grief, in her very silent being, she finally shamed the one who held power. King David. Finally, someone went to David and told him about Rizpah's vigil over the bodies of her sons. And in his heart, David knew he had wronged a lot of people. So finally, he went to find the bones of Saul, the bones of Jonathan, whom David had supposedly loved, and the bones of Rizpah's sons. Finally, the dead were buried with dignity. In a very small way, justice was finally served, even if a dignified funeral ritual will never bring sons and husbands back to this side of life. Finally, it rained on the land, not when or because these innocent men were murdered, but when David attempted to right his wrongs by small acts of justice true, just love that comes from God, in God, around God. This love is the kind of love that sees. This is the kind of love that grieves. This is the kind of love that protects. And maybe in God's good time, this is the kind of love that will heal us all, brothers and sisters together. Today, look at Rizpah, read about her, remember her. And when you think of love today, know that an insignificant, defiant woman in the Hebrew Scriptures showed us an example of God's fierce, unrelenting love. As you remember her on this day, ask yourself this. What kind of love will I embody today? What kind of love will I take out into the world today? Amen.